Hey everybody, this is Ruben, and you're listening to Amazing Stories. Ah! My notebook! He's thrown it! There's writing, but it looks like a kid's. What does it say? Shirley, I come. My Shirley. I'm back where I began with that cardboard box of all Chip's files on the case. And spread out in front of me are hundreds of letters supposedly written by a ghost. The first one is that scrawl in Chip's notebook, Shirley, I come, my Shirley. I've put a photo of it on the BBC website. The writing's shaky, it's kind of crude like a child's, and each letter is really wobbly and uncertain. Underneath, Chib's written in his own neat handwriting, 1.15am, 22nd March, 1956, writing by Donald himself. But how can that be possible? These notes will develop from scrawls like this to more detailed letters, allegedly explaining who Donald is and what he wants. Prepare yourselves, because this episode, things are going to get very weird. Oh, you've got a Christmas card, Harold. Huh? Hmm. Dear Chib, Merry Christmas from... I'm Danny Robbins, and this is the Battersea Poltergeist. Episode 7, Dead Letters. So far, we've focused on January to March 1956, those intense early months when the press descend on number 63. We're going to cover a longer period this episode as the family adapt to their weird new domestic reality, living with Donald. You may have your own theories now of what's causing the strange events at number 63, but what doesn't seem in any doubt, is that we have five people here, Wally, Kitty, Ethel, John and Shirley, living in a state of heightened fear. It was like living in a nightmare, that any minute you're going to wake up. So Shirley, tell me about your state of mind at this point. Well, I don't know how words could describe it. I had this sort of tremble. We all were carrying our demons in our heads, you know, all frightened. My mum really frightened because of her disposition. Wally, Chib, quick, look in our bedroom. On the walls, the marks. What is it? Lead polish. For the fireplace, it's like he's drawn with it. 
What do those symbols mean? They're fleur-de-lis. Does that mean something to you, Donald? Oh, damn it. I don't know whether I'm imagining things. Did he really speak before? What's going on, Chip? He's becoming more powerful. This could be rather worrying. I'm with Evelyn Hollow and Kieran O'Keefe now, our experts. So this is more new phenomena. The family also find painted crosses, not only on the walls, but also on the headboard of Kitty and Wally's bed. Kieran, what do you make of this? Well, in my opinion, we can't discount the possibility that somebody in the family did that. There's no environmental or psychological explanation. We've got photographs, so we know it actually happened. So it's either somebody in the family or it's a poltergeist. Evelyn, whatever or whoever is doing this is causing serious levels of destruction. You have rooms being trashed, things piled up and set fire to. If it is someone in the family doing it, exactly how are they getting away with that? I don't know you guys, but I grew up in a, like a one-and-a-half-bedroomed house. I shared a tiny room with my sister. And if my mother got out of bed in the middle of the night, I could hear her breathing in the kitchen downstairs. So if you live in a small house, you're going to notice someone getting out of bed if they're, like, piling furniture up in the room or taking gouges out the wall and you're all in the house pretty much 24-7. Somebody's going to notice that. It keeps coming back to that. How is all this possible? And on that, let's talk about this note in Chib's book, Shirley, I Come, My Shirley. How do we feel about that? It's him, whatever him is, directly giving a message that that is very personal. So you've got that intimacy aspect, but you've got another side to it, which is almost, I would say, a little bit scary. And immediately it builds in your mind expectations about, well, given everything else we've experienced, what on earth are we going to be experiencing now? Really, to me, it's like, is that a threat or a promise? It sounds almost romantic. It's got almost that kind of period gothic romance letter thing. Like, my my dear Shirley, I come to you, my Shirley, from far across the moors or whatever. And then on the flip side of that, it also sounds kind of like a threat. What is he actually coming to do? Because so far it's destroying the house, keeping the entire family awake, destroying Shirley's teenage years, setting fire to things. So, yeah, if you think of Donald through the lens of being an abusive omnipresent partner or stalker I guess would be more accurate then it's like I'm coming for you whether you want me to be in your house or not So was that note written by a ghost? We should be open to all explanations but my issue with it is can we be assured that the little note that was there when Chip picked up his notebook wasn't there prior to that incident So we can't discount the possibility the note was written, put into Chib's notebook when he wasn't looking, and then when it flew out of his hand, he discovered the note, he said, well, that wasn't there before. Kieran's right that Chib desperately wants to believe. You really see that in his notes here. And from this point on, he's at number 63 as much as possible. He's coming straight from his job at the tax office to stay the night, barely making it home to see his wife, Lily. The mission that he's increasingly devoting his life to is simple. It's finding out who or what Donald is. After that first written message, there's tantalisingly no more. 
But we heard last step about how Chibs started using alphabet cards, pointing at letters, waiting for Donald to bang to spell out words. L. Was that B? Did you mean A? At first, the messages are menacing threats or random nonsense. But on the evening of March 27th, 1956, a different kind of information comes through. Next letter. Don? E. L-A-N-E. Lane. Read the old thing back, Chib. Uh, Collie Zibba Durry Lane. I, I, I think that must be Drury Lane in Covent Garden. Is, is this the name of a, a person, Donald? Someone with a connection to Drury Lane, perhaps. Someone you knew? Can you give us a date, Don, when he lived? Can we do that? Yes, I've, I've got numbers here, too. <clears throat> Go for it. One, seven, two, zero, the 1st of July, 1920, or, or the year 1720. 1720, eh? Was you alive then? I'm not that old. Oh, <laughs> you meant Donald. As the session progresses... Donald seems to spell out other names. Nancy Mainfield, Sir Richard Steele, John Hall, Kitty Clive. For Chib, this contact feels different. I'll, I'll try to verify if these are genuine names, but this could be it, Shirley. We're finally getting somewhere. What's the matter? I was just imagining if it was me. What? Being a ghost. You spend your whole life chatting away, then you die. And getting the simplest message across is really hard work. The opposite of evolution. Death forces us back to being cavemen. No wonder he chucks stuff around. Oh. Every single thing on the 18th century in Wood Green Library. It's easy to forget in a world where I've researched this series on Google and you're listening to it on a podcast app, that this is 1956. The internet is 40 years away. So for Chib, just trying to corroborate these details from Donald is a long, painstaking task. Arrow! Lily! I was nose down in 18th century courtesan. Look at this! The History of the Theatre Royal, Drury Lane. Manager of the theatre between 1710 and 1733 was actor and playwright... Collie Kibber! Kibber! Not Zibber! He got just one letter wrong. And there's a list of some of the actors who worked with him. What were those names? Er, uh, Nancy Mainfield. No. Wait, wait. There's an Anne Oldfield... Known as Nance. Oh, it's close enough. Sir Richard Steele? 
Yes? John Hall? Um, there's a Mr Hall. And, and, and how about Kitty Clive? Um, I don't... Oh, my gosh. Catherine Rafter, who later married the barrister George Clive, becoming... Kitty Clive. Chibs' methods might feel a little strange to us now, but remember, this is a period when the British public are still fascinated by spirit communication. It's not that long since the glory days of the 1920s and 30s, the boom in spiritualism, mediums who were treated like rock stars. Europe is still processing the Second World War. There's a fairly widespread desire to believe that the dead are out there, providing the medium with little clues to their identity. As the weeks pass, Chib keeps up regular sessions. OK. N. E. W. I lost in channel my life I knew. What did the other one say? Uh, I got lost when I drowned. Drowned in the English Channel? Were you leaving England on? Or coming from France? He's tapping that tune again. Frere Jacques, Frere Jacques. He's been trying to tell us something, Shirley. That and the fleur de lis symbols. He has a connection to France. Then, in the middle of May, five months after the haunting began, they receive a flurry of messages. I, Louis, killed before revolution. I was the crown. I am Donald in this age. I am originally Louis Seventeenth. Let me get this straight. Donald, you are claiming to be the lost Prince Louis, heir to the throne of France? Evelyn, this is such a weird moment. It's possibly the single most bizarre thing that happens in the case. First of all, we ask ourselves why that person, of all the people that Donald could have said that he was, why specifically that person? It kind of almost derails the case, because up until that point, the case has followed the steps of a poltergeist case to the letter, the way the phenomena um, gets worse and the type of phenomena that we get. And then we get this bizarre revelation. It's not just like a random spirit. It's actually like former dead royalty. Yeah, I had to read up to remind myself about it, but it's actually one of history's great conspiracy theories. Prince Louis Charles was the Dauphin, the heir to the French throne after his father was guillotined. And there's always been this mystery about whether he died in prison or whether he was somehow swapped with a body double and escaped to freedom. So it's got real drama to it and real theatrics, which fits right into uh, the agenda with Donald. And then Chip becomes absolutely obsessed with it. Last night, he claimed to have made his escape on board a British ship that sank in the English Channel in 1795. And to think he's ended up here, poor sod. Oh, we're not that bad, Kit. How old would he have been? Ten, John. Ten? So young. It might explain his rather mischievous personality. Mm. 
You really reckon it could be him, Chip? Well, it's, it's impossible to know yet, Wally, but with Shirley's help, I'm receiving a lot of information. Chip thinks I'm a natural medium, that it's me that gives Don the power to talk. So he must have been born in 1785? Oh, yes, well, th- that's a matter of historical record. And how did he watch them actors in Drury Lane back in, what was it, 1720? Well, well that, that, that may not be relevant now. You said spirits sometimes give misleading information at first. Yes, he may have been testing us. But he's not there. All I can do, John, is try to confirm each new piece of information. Or you could stop. Pardon? It's you, mate. You're keeping all this going. When did we last have a journalist round? John? It's been months, Joe. They found better things to write about, but Chip, he's here every flipping day nearly. God knows what your poor wife thinks, sitting up with a teenage girl every night talking to spirits. That's enough, John. I'm sorry, Chip. Look, things have happened. Stuff I can't explain. But this... What's, what's that test called, where they show you ink blots? You say it looks like a bat or a butterfly or someone's private parts and they decide if you're crazy. The Rorschach test. Right. That's what this is. You're hearing a noise, mate, and imagining a story. It could be the Prince of France or Julius Flipping Caesar. It's all in your head. Kieran, are you with John? 100%. It's a red herring. A lot of the filling in the gaps comes from Chib himself. The building up of that identity actually comes about because of an interplay that happens between Chib and Shirley and potentially other members of the family. It's not a simple message that starts off and says, I am the lost Dauphin Prince. Chib, though, now becomes utterly obsessed, doesn't he, with trying to prove that Donald is telling the truth. We have to ask ourselves, is it the spirit trying to throw us off the case? Because when we talk about poltergeists, they're not just violent and malevolent, but they're also often described as being sort of tricksters. And definitely for Chibit, he becomes obsessed. And I think it sort of ends up, I'm not going to say ruins his life, but it definitely really, it takes up the rest of his life trying to find out whether or not Donald is who he claims he is. Lily, Mr Chibit's wife, she said once to me, I've hardly seen him. And Dad found out they only had two rooms upstairs. One was their bedroom. The other room was like his study. But he had a bed in there because he used to work up till two o'clock in the morning. Harold, he's still up. Where's that map of France we have from our driving holiday? Bottom shelf. Huh. I need to find a sheep farm. What? Where would we put them? I'm not buying sheep. It's where Donald claims he hid en route to meet the boat. Do try to get some sleep. Meanwhile, the Hitchings continue to deal with the daily reality of life with a poltergeist. With one major difference... There were more written communications. They start to find these handwritten notes around the house, issuing demands or orders. Shirley must dress like a lady of court. Get her dress, skirt, blouse, coat, shoes, and don't worry about bank money. Get some out Monday. Oh, that's easy for him to say. It's like supernatural Stockholm syndrome, isn't it, Evelyn? The Hitchings have become so convinced that Donald is real that they turn their lives upside down to try and obey his every command. 
He's really kind of holding, not just Shirley, I guess, but everybody in this case, hostage to what he wants. So, yeah, he's a, he's a possessive, violent force in the house. He's an absolute bully. It's just so weird. The front room comes to be known as Donald's room. They walk in to find Shirley's dolls arranged in a circle. And in the evenings, they feel like he sits watching TV with them, even tapping along to the theme tunes. Do you like that one, Donald? And maybe weirdest of all, the family start finding letters from Donald addressed to the stars of the TV programmes that he likes. Fan mail from a poltergeist. He keeps writing to this fella, Jeremy Spencer. Oh, he's going to be in some new film with Marilyn Monroe. They're doing it in Pinewood Studios. Is he any good? He's quite handsome. Donald seems to like him. Yeah. I want Jeremy Spencer's picture. He is sweet. I like him to meet Shirley. Weird, weird, weird. The obsession with this actor, Jeremy Spencer, becomes particularly intense and quite dark. He wants us to warn him, Chib. Reckons he's going to have some accident. Please help Jeremy Spencer. You have exactly 24 hours... Please, you would not want him to die. I'd better stick a stamp on it. I'll post it to Pinewood. Walter Hitchings, have you gone stark raving mad? All of you, running round like his damned servants. Oh, yes, Donald. No, Donald. Prince of France. Uh, Prince of Darkness, more like. Oh, you don't like that, do you? Someone telling it how it is. In return for Ethel's defiance, Donald leaves out messages about her, laced with vitriol. Wally, for Nan's disobeyment, tip her out of bed, silly old bugger. She is old battle-axe, face like overgrown beetroot. <laughs> Blimey, Donald, that's a bit rude. This is the thing about Donald. The messages veer from playful to vicious, and they're always controlling... When there's talk of Shirley getting a new job, he reacts to the idea of her leaving the house with a shocking level of violence. Front room. Occasional table. Polished top. Badly scratched. Lampshade wrenched from standard lamp holder. Thrown on floor and material torn to shreds. John's bedroom. Best trousers torn. Quite unrepairable. Kitchen. Crockery smashed. A spoon bent double. I understand that before I arrived, knives had been thrown. Evelyn, we've seen photographs of this, and it's it's on another level. Good Lord, when you see the pictures of the front room, he obliterates the place. The wallpaper is destroyed, not just scrawled in, but, like, torn off the wall. It's almost gouged into the wall. It's really vicious-looking. Shreds, I think, like, the bedclothes and stuff, steals things... It's really violent. I guess I won't be going to work. It's chaos, Chip. He's destroyed the place. (gasps) Why would he do this? Kieran? Yes? Evelyn? Yes? Something has happened to us here. We're saying he and him. Uh Uh-huh. We're getting sucked in too, but this is the thing, isn't it? Donald feels like such a clear and distinct personality. Kieran, you're the hardcore sceptic. Does this mean that you have drunk the Kool-Aid? Are you fully signed up now to believe that Donald is real? No. Uh, 
Donald, as in whatever that manifestation is, is in the house. But from my perspective, it still doesn't mean he's an actual poltergeist. It's more a case of using the name and using those pronouns to signify how the family have built up this narrative. But absolutely not. I'm certainly not using his name as an indicator that I've drunk the Kool-Aid and I'm starting to believe. Evelyn, do you believe that Donald is real? Yeah, I, I do at this point believe that the core of the phenomena is paranormal and that it is being caused by something being in the house. What that something is, is you know, up to us to debate and explain. But yes, I do. Um, I'll take a pint of Kool-Aid, please. Throughout all these crazy months, Chib sticks at his research. When he can't make it to number 63, he writes to Donald and receives letters back. He starts to write a book about the investigation, spending hours poring over old documents about revolutionary France. Still at that map? Hmm. Trying to find a paper mill Louis hid in. There's something I... I think you should see, Harold. It's about that collie Kibber chap. Oh, I don't, I don't think that's important now, Lily. Please. Look at this. Uh-uh. Radio Times magazine. It's not the most historical of documents. This one is. I was clearing an old pile of them in the living room when I noticed this page, listing a TV play. Look at the title. Kitty Clive. It's about the actress of yours. Read the list of characters. Collie Kibber, Nance Oldfield, John Hall... You think Donald had watched it? Or somebody else had. What what, what date was on it? Um, March 27th. The day we received the message. If that was made up... What else might be? That's what I thought. So I did a bit more digging and I found this. Another historical serial on at that time, The Scarlet Pimpernel, about an English chap who rescues French aristocrats from the Revolution. It's a terrible moment because the elephant in the room is that these things that Donald's been doing, writing obsessive fan letters, playing with dolls, the fascination with the romance of history, even smashing stuff, it's all things that a teenager might possibly do. Have I been a terrible fool, Lily? When I first opened this cardboard box of Chip's files, in a weird way I unleashed... Donald back into the world but reopening it to take out these letters has unleashed something else the possibility that Donald is Shirley I still find that almost impossible to conceive but Lily's discovery means that we have to confront that possibility So I'm about to do something that makes me feel deeply uncomfortable. I'm standing here looking at two particular letters, both written to Chib on the same day, one from Shirley and one supposedly from Donald. Emma, this is Danny Robbins here. Hi, Danny. Can I ask you to introduce yourself and what you do? Well, my name's Emma Beach, and I've been a graphologist and a handwriting expert for over 30 years now. So, Emma, I've got these two handwriting samples, and 
I'm wondering if you can tell me if they could have been written by the same person. And how accurate do you think you can be? If I'm not sure of my findings, I will tell you. But if I say that I'm sure, that I've, then I would say beyond reasonable doubt, it either hasn't been written by the same person or it has. Okay, I'm emailing scans of them to you right now. I'll get back to you in a few days with my results. I hate this. <laughs> I guess I'm not that different to Chib, really. I want to believe. Harold. But, darling, I... Oh, I'll do it. Yes? One moment. It's Wally Hitchens. Wally. Jeb, Donald gave us another message last night for Jeremy Spencer saying it was her... Never mind about that. I, I, I now believe... Have you seen the news? It's the front page of the Evening Standard. Lily, what, what's that headline say? Actor Jeremy Spencer was taken to hospital on Sunday night after his car skidded, overturned and crashed through a hedge. He was right, Chip. Donald was right. The twists and turns of this case are far from over. Coming up in the final episode of the Battersea Poltergeist. There's so much stuff in this case, I just think that you absolutely can't fake it. Who's that? You, Donald. Who is it? Tell me now. I think there's a human hand behind this. The question is, whose hand? No, it, it can't be. Thank you for listening, and don't forget to join us tomorrow for yet another amazing story.